Well, I have the privilege of introducing to you today um, our speaker. It's Ron Morris. Uh, Ron and his wife, Pat, are here. You may have seen their display out here in the lobby. Um, and they are with North Burma Christian Mission. They are one of the missionaries that we support with your weekly tithes and offerings every week. And they are actually based out of Thailand. There's a network of churches they've planted there, um, but they also uh, serve the Burma area, and there's a whole bunch of churches and, and people involved there. They are great Christian people, and, and when Ron was telling me uh, about his family, he said, you know, Enid has always held a dear place in our family's heart. And I said, well, why is that? Little old Enid, Oklahoma. He said, because that's where um, my grandparents were at Phillips University in 1921, when they received the call from God to go to the mission field and to start North Burma Christian Mission and to be able to do it after all of these years. So 101 years, this family, now to the third generation, has been in the mission field planting churches, um, doing evangelism, training and making disciples. Um, and we as a church want to support people that do that. And so uh, there's ways for you to get connected with them after the service. They have a table out there. They have an email list just on a yellow pad. And if you could sign up for that, Ron had one request about that. He said, please make sure their I's look like I's and their L's look like L's. And their ones look like ones and their sevens look like sevens because if we get one letter off, they'll never get our newsletter. But um, they would love to connect with you. And I know you're going to be blessed by this man's heart for the gospel, his passion uh, for people around the world. So let's give a warm Oakwood welcome to Ron Morse. This is Enid, right? This isn't Thailand, so I better switch languages here. Anybody here speak Lisu? That was Lisu. Or anybody here speak Thai? That's Thai. So it's different, totally different languages. And uh, in Southeast Asia, Burma, and Thailand, where we work right now, uh, Burma alone has 130 languages. Thailand has something like 80, 90 languages. China, India, we're talking thousands of languages, none of which can understand each other. Some have a little bit of a crossover, but most do not. This makes a huge problem in trying to talk to people. And so the first few years, you arrive in an area, you're spending years learning the language. Not only that, but the culture also. In Thailand, you don't want to sit down and cross your legs and let your, the soles of your feet be pointing at somebody. The, foot is the lowest part of the body, and so to point that towards somebody is disrespectful. There's just a variety of things that we end up sometimes inadvertently doing um, and not know it at all. Sometimes uh, people point, but they don't like people to point at things. Sometimes they might use their chin to point like that over there, you know. S to some people that's offensive. To other people it's okay. What's okay, what's not? What things help to 
open the doors and what things close doors as we share the gospel with people. When we first went to Thailand, after leaving Burma, and our life story, as Eric said, is actually documented from the first half of our hundred years in a book called The Dogs May Bark, But the Caravan Moves On. It's a Tibetan um, proverb. Other people use it too in the Arabic world. Dogs may bark at you, but the caravan never stops. In the same way, the Christian ministry should not be derailed because of opposition or just some yapping dogs at your feet. Now, you're not talking or calling anybody a dog, excuse me. We're not doing that. It's, a, it's an example of opposition to what we're trying to accomplish. Things will come against the kingdom of God, but by God's power and by His protection and provision, things go forward. When we were in Burma many years ago, uh, things happened in my childhood that led me to become who I am today. And when we finally left Burma, I was uh, just in my late teens, early 20s, came back to the States, went back to Thailand, and now I had grown up in a totally Christian Lisu environment. That's my background. Uh, Burma was closed. They kicked out all missionaries, all foreigners. Thailand was still open, but very precarious at the end of, of um, the Vietnam War. And so we thought we might not only be there, but for a few months. But so we really got busy. But we came back to the States and then through a lot of difficulties, arrived back in Thailand because we heard there were about 40,000 Lisu in Thailand. Now, remember, Thailand is for Thai, but there's many other languages, one of which is a small group called the Lisu people. Now, they lived in about 110 villages, and our goal was to reach every village, every home. I mean, we, we had it planned out, right? Um, yeah. Man proposes and God disposes sometimes. Well, our plan, God blessed actually, because we were doing saturation evangelism, going all over, preaching the gospel, but not in the way you would think of holding revival meetings because people didn't have a clue what the Bible was, didn't have any idea who Jesus was. So how do you reach people who have not, a, not an iota of information about the gospel? or the Bible, or God, or Jesus, or hell, heaven, sin, salvation. They didn't even have a word for love or forgiveness. So how are you going to get forgiveness if you don't know what it means? Well, how do they forgive one another? Well, that's a problem. See, they often didn't. <laughs> that meant sometimes a shorter life because you weren't forgiven, right? And so God wants us to be forgiven, but that has to be conveyed in a context of divine love and divine forgiveness, and then how that happens within community. So, when we first got over there, a thought came to my mind as I was reaching out to people and trying to figure out how my Lisu dialect will actually fit their dialect, which was slightly different, I found out, and they couldn't really understand me. So for all of our preparation of growing up in Burma among the Lisu, when we came to the Thailand Lisu, it was a different dialect. And so we had to sit down and become students before we could become teachers, 
in their own language even. So we quickly adapted our language to their dialect and began to share. But even that did not cut it right away uh, because culture, they didn't have a clue what we're talking about. So when, when looking at this, it brings to my mind that I want to ask you a question to keep in your mind. Now this may sound like I'm, I'm actually, you know, embarrassing you or offending you, but I don't mean to. Now here's a, th here's a thought. Of what you know of the Bible, how much of it do you know and how much of it do you really believe? Okay, I want you to take that home and chew on it and every time Eric and others are preaching here, ask yourself, well, I know that story, but do I believe it? I know that promise, but do I believe it? I know Jesus said to do that, but am I practicing it? If I don't practice it, maybe I don't, it's because I don't really believe it. Well, it's good news, you know, it's okay, but it's not for me. That's for somebody else to do. It's always for somebody else. And sometimes we forget it's for us too. So when, when I began to reach out with some of our co-workers to the Lisu villages, the thought that came to my mind was, how are we going to convey God's love to them, bring them into the kingdom of God, and establish a church, a church that looks like a church. They don't know what a church is. They don't know what an elder, a preacher, or a pastor, or tithing, or anything is. How do you start from nothing? And that's one of the differences that often occurs on the foreign mission field. There is nothing there. There's nothing to work with. You have to create it with God's help. You have to ask for a way. And this is when I, I began to dawn on me that Jesus said that he had been given a job to do in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says, the word of the Lord is upon me. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Who's the prisoners there? In his audience, was anybody a prisoner? Uh, who was poor? Well, probably a lot of them were poor. But what's good news for the poor? I, I, I'm sure they, there are a lot of poor people, but so if Jesus said, I've been sent to proclaim good news. Okay, so what is that news? It's me. What about you? Well, I am good news. How did that relate to the people there? And so we began to see Jesus' life that everywhere he went, he did good things. He healed people. He preached the word. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He gave eyesight back to the blind. He healed the infirm. He healed a leper. He touched the untouchable. He forgave the woman who was about to be stoned. Nobody could do that. He gave good news. In Jesus, there was hope. There was a future. It's unlike, they said, anything that the Pharisees are doing. And it says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and re to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So if, if somebody has favor on you, you could be standing in line somewhere, okay? And you, you might wait 
maybe an hour standing in line. But if you have favor, the guy behind the desk said, hey, Jim, come on down here. And you jump over the line while the people behind you or while ago were in front of you might not be happy. But suddenly, you jumped the line because you had favor. Somebody said, well, you have to do this. You have to wait a year to get your visa or to get your citizenship. You have to wait three years. But with favor, you can cut through all of that, all of that red tape, because you have favor. Jesus said, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now he goes on to say, which Jesus does not quote, and the year of the, the, the Lord's vengeance too. Vengeance is coming, but favor comes first. For those who receive God's favor, there's hope. Those who don't, there's something else in store. Because there's bad news if you won't accept the good news. And that's what Jesus came to share. Then, later on, after Jesus proclaimed this message and he taught the disciples, later, we, talk, we see where Saul was called and he was going to persecute the church in Damascus. On the road to Damascus, this is the third time he tells the story, but it's the most complete of the account of what happened to him. He was up there and he, he sees this bright light and he gets knocked off this horse. Other people hear a noise, but he hears a voice. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Acts chapter 26 and verse 14. And he fell to the ground. It's, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, you're fighting an uphill battle, mister, because this is not where I want you to go. You are God's servant, but you're going in the wrong direction. You should go with my flow, not the flow of somebody else telling you what to do. Now, he was a very educated man, one of the most highly, uh, whatever, he was a PhD in his time, of all PhDs. Paul himself says he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Nobody was more knowledgeable than him. Then he goes on to say, he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness. Now think about that. This guy isn't even a Christian yet in our way of thinking. But he obviously had heard enough about the Christian way. He knew about Jesus. He knew what Jesus had done or raised from the dead. He, that's what people were telling him. But he didn't believe it. This guy's a heretic. He's a false teacher. So that was his whole orientation from other people. Now Jesus is saying, it's me, mister. I want you to stand on your feet. It's time to get your act together. Get your faith in shape. What you have known, you've not understood. You will be, he said, get up and stand on your feet. Think about that. You can't get much done laying on the ground. You got to get up to get going. And stand on your feet. You can't fight a battle on your knees. Well, in some kinds you can if it's in prayer, but normally you're fighting the enemy on your feet. And so he says, get up and stand on your feet. I am appointing you a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me today and probably in the future, and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people 
and from the Gentiles. Now, Paul didn't have, later to be Paul, now still called Saul, didn't have much to do with the Gentiles. But Jesus said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Lord, uh, excuse me, who? He didn't ask. In fact, Paul doesn't ask one question of Jesus in all this discourse. He's receiving his commission. He's receiving his marching orders. Now, he is also told how he's going to do his ministry. And for the rest of his life, everything goes back to what Jesus told him here at the beginning. Now, think about this. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And he says, I am sending you, verse 18, to do three things to accomplish a fourth to achieve a fifth. Okay? Three things to achieve a fourth and to accomplish a fifth. There's five things he lists here. And we break it down like this. I'm sending you to open their eyes. Jesus said to open the eyes of the blind. It parallels what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. This is the commission that was given to Paul. Jesus said go to all the earth in Matthew 28 and preach to every ethnic group. Yes, that was a great commission. But here is the applied commission. Okay, here is the applied great commission. How do you do the great commission? This is the application. You first have to open their eyes. How do you open eyes? We need an eye opener, not a can opener. But we might need that too. So we need to open eyes. And he says, I'm sending you to open their eyes, the Gentiles, and also the Jews, and to turn them from darkness to light. Well, who's in darkness? Where does it exist? And where's the light? And how did it come to be light? Well, Jesus said, we are the light of the world. And we are the salt of the world. We are the hope of the world. Because through us, people will see God. People will find God. They'll find their way back to God by looking at you and me. When you're in a tunnel and there's no light, and then finally you see a glimmer of light, that is you. People will be attracted to the light because that is the beginning of answers when you begin to see. But you have to open your eyes, open the blind eyes to see, turn them from the the darkness to the light, and from the power of Satan to God. From the power of Satan, and by implication, from this power to this power. From the power of Satan to the power of God. Now Jesus is talking from heaven, and he's talking about the power of Satan. Well, I thought Satan was defeated on the cross, and he's dead and gone, and he's gone away now. He doesn't exist anymore. Jesus got the victory. All we have to do is march into heaven now. That is maybe the attitude of many people. But I don't see that in this passage. Here is Paul, some years after the resurrection, being told by Jesus himself to take the message to open eyes, turn from darkness to light, and to bring people from the power of Satan into the power and the dominion of God. The rule of God. That is what we have to do today. And when we're beginning to work in Thailand... I realized that before we could get to the third, fourth point here, which is, what was, what was the point of 
turning them from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, you have to be forgiven after the first three things have happened. You are at a place where you now accept Jesus. Your sins can be forgiven. And once you're forgiven, now you are ready for heaven. That's what's going to happen, Paul. That's what you're going to have to go and do to the whole world. This is the gospel message. Open their eyes. And so Paul stood up and he realized that he was blind. His eyes had to be opened first. Not only physically, but he had to start thinking everything. He went into Arabia for three years to relearn everything that he had ever studied. And so he went and he was applying that knowledge that he had from the past and putting it into context of how it lines up with Jesus as a fulfillment. All right. So, as we went to Thailand and began to realize, I had to ask myself, is Jesus really the only way? John 14, 6, Jesus was talking to his disciples on the night that he was arrested and later crucified the next day. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way. In Acts chapter 4, 12, it says, there's no other name given among men whereby we may be saved. No other name. Accept it or reject it. But it is what it is. And we do reject it at our own peril because it's not my words. And if somebody says, you Christians are so narrow-minded, you think you're the only, your Jesus is the only way to heaven. I said, well, I didn't say it, he did. I just chose to believe him. You have the same choice. What will you do with Jesus? And so as we began to reach out to the people that did not have any clue what Christianity or Jesus was all about, we realized we needed a way to open their eyes. We needed a way to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they might be in a place where they could be forgiven, and then they could become part of the body of Christ, a church could be established. How do we do that? Well, it happens some places here, then later other things happen here, and these guys move on. These guys still have to have their eyes open. But step by step, day by day, we realize that the gospel involves a progression of events in the life of every person. And I also realized that I did not believe everything I knew. Because when push came to shove, I was saying, Yikes, I never signed up for this. Uh, yeah, you guys carry on. And I looked around and there's nobody else. And it's like, <clears throat> what? It's up to me? And it's like, do I really believe this? Am I ready to step out? Will this limb support my faith? Will it really actually hold me up? Or is it just so much hot air? Is it just so much hot air? If not, then we need to start showing people that we believe and that we act on what we believe. We live the talk, not just talk the talk. We need to walk it and talk it, but we need to live it too. And so we got to where we entered this one village 
And we were asking the Lord, Lord, what do we do? How do we get through to these people? This woman comes down. We we're asking God to give us a way to open their eyes because we didn't have a clue how we were going to break into this village. And so there are about 80 households there. None had any clue what Jesus was about. So we were praying outside the village and saying, Lord, we need a way in. We need a welcome into their home. How are we going to get a welcome? And not just opposition. Because the witch doctors and the shaman are often against people who kind of, you know, upset the status quo. And their power would be <laughs> in jeopardy. Their influence would become second rate if this Jesus comes into their midst. And they somehow know that. And they don't want people to be baptized. I, we could talk about that for a while, but they know, they knew that once you became a follower of Jesus and you were baptized, the, the dark side lost control of you. Because now you're dead and now you're alive. Okay, you were, you were over here, now you were baptized, you were raised in a new life. It's what Paul said. You are set free because you've started a new life. You're a new creature in Christ. Now, this woman comes past us as we're praying and she's crying and she's carrying this little baby and she's saying, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we said, wait, 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 wait. Well, what's going on with you? Stop, wait a minute. I can't, I can't. Uh, I've been bitten by a snake and I'm going to die. I need to get back to my house. Their house is just maybe three or four hundred feet on past there. So she's rushing to get back home so she can die at home. If you die in the, out in the fields, they won't bury you. They'll burn your body. So she wanted to go back to the house so she would die at home and not like some wild animal in the woods. Okay? So she was rushing back to her house and her husband was following after her. We said, wait, wait, we can help you. Uh, we've got a snake bite kit. Uh, you know, suction things that the army people, you can buy it at, um, at army surplus. So we had gotten some of that when we, when we went to Thailand. We thought it might come in handy. Lots of snakes over there. So... They said, can you help us? Yeah, yeah, we can help you. Let's go to your house and we need to wash her. F Where did she get bitten? On her foot. Okay, we need to wash the foot and then we need to apply this suction. Okay, got to her house, washed the foot out and we realized the foot didn't mean that she was bitten on the heel or somewhere was fleshy. She was bitten on her toe. Now, you know that toes are bony and uh, it's the bony part. You know, not Napoleon, but anyway, it's the bony part. Anyway, your suction will not stick, will not attach itself to that bony part. And so we realized we're not going to be able to help her because it just, it just, it just slid off. And she wasn't a very big person, so her, her bones were small and it was terrible. So we watched it we thought, what are we going to do now? So we said, we're going to have to cut the place where the snake bit her and uh, have her husband you know, suck on the toe to take out all the, the poison. And the husband said, I married her, but I ain't doing that. I guess she's going to just have to die, you know. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know, we looked at each other and said, we're going to have to do the unthinkable. We're going to have to suck her toe. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean she's your wife now. Even though you're willing to go that extent above and beyond the call of medicine, of 
helping somebody. So we all took turns, and we sucked on her toe, and um, got all the poison out, and she lived. That evening, she was better. The swelling went down, and she was up and around a bit, hobbling. Uh, we bandaged her foot up, and people in the village came back from their fields, and they said, what's going on in that family down there? Everybody just kind of gathered around and came into the house to see what was going on. Boy, our host, he invited us to stay with him, so we got an invitation, you see. See how God works to give you an invitation? When you're looking for an invitation, I just hope you don't have to suck somebody's toe. I tell you what, there's all kinds of terms you could use here, but maybe it wouldn't be polite, but anyway. You just have to go with the flow and do what the Lord brings your way. Friends, another time when we walked into the village, the people, we asked them, what are you, what is it that is keeping you from becoming a follower of Jesus? And we had just kind of broken the ice a bit and gotten into this other village about 13 families, but there's a witch doctor lady, a woman there, a shaman woman, who was against anything about Christianity. So we were talking to her, to this one family, and he said, well, I'm a, I'm a witch doctor kind of part-time. <laughs> and he said, but I don't like the demons. They're all darkness. They're always after us, and they're, no, they're bad news. I want to be free of them, but, but I'm afraid that if I follow this Jesus that our family will suffer, that our crops will fail, and we'll be cursed some way or another, and we'll all starve. They said, well, no, you're not going to starve. Look at me, I'm not starving. And he thought, yeah, you're not, huh? So you say that God will take care of us. I said, absolutely. Now, was I writing him a, a warranty that I was not authorized to write him? Was I guaranteeing and committing God to something that... God had not given me permission to do? That is a question every one of us will face. Am I stepping outside the bonds, outside the boundaries? And it is a very relevant question. But here's the thing. If the occasion comes up for God will be honored and we don't take that opportunity, God will never be honored. And so I said, yes, God will help your family. So... He said, okay, my wife and two daughters are going to become Christians, and they were baptized, and he said, I'm going to watch and see if our family's crops fail or not. I thought, brave man. But what can I do? He said, okay, you can hang back. You know, you're the witch doctor. So two months later, after we had been there and taught the family a bit, I was going back to the village and met this man coming out of this village towards the road where I was entering the village, and he looked at me and he pointed at it and said, you, I'm coming to look for you. I was on my way to find you. I said, what's going on? I said, my fields are under attack. They're being consumed by grasshoppers, and you said God would watch over them. Where's your God? And I said, God, did you hear that? It's not my field. It's not my promises. It's not my power. It's yours. So I said to him, I said, tell me what's going on. Let's go back to your house. We sat down and talked with him. I said, the thought came to me about spiritual warfare. I said, the devil will attack you for your weakest. He'll attack you what you fear the most. And when that happens, you need to start praising God. And back when we were younger in Burma, a similar situation in our fields happened there. 
about some caterpillars were eating our crops up and we prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happened until we began to praise God, went out into the field and said, God, it's not our field anymore. We've done everything we can. We have no medicine to put on the crops, no pesticide, no herb, nothing. It's all in your hands. Whether we get a harvest or not, it's out of our hands. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. We love you anyway. We'll go back to eating, you know, jungle food, whatever, if we have to. You are our Lord. And three days later, all the field was, was cured. Every bug had gone in three days from impossible three weeks of constant uh, daily failures. Three days later, after we gave up and we just gave it to God and said, Lord, we, we don't know what to do, but we're going to praise you. And so that's what happened. It was, I saw that with my own eyes. So now in Thailand, when this man said grasshoppers are bothering his field, I thought we need to just pray and praise and put it in God's hands. I said, well, you do this. He said, let's do it. He was complaining. I said, the devil is attacking your faith. Don't give in and don't complain. Complaining is a sign that you don't believe, that you're doubting. We went to his field, prayed for his field. Then I went on with my friend to another village, and we were there for three days, came back on the fourth day, and came back to his house and said, how's your field going? And he said, it's going very badly. There's just as many bugs as before. And so he said, well, let's go to your field and look at it tomorrow. Just because there are grasshoppers in your field doesn't mean they're eating it. If they're not eating it, do you mind if they're guests in your field? Non-eating guests. They said, I guess that's okay. I guess that's all I wanted to know. Think about that. God made the grasshoppers too. They can eat the weeds, just not your rice. Amen? And he said, oh, okay. I like that. Let's go see tomorrow. Next day we went to his field and looked around. And he went from top to bottom all around. And we waited for him to see what his analysis would be. Because he was the judge. He came back with this big smile on his face. And he said, Ron, God has saved my field. I said, really? How do you know? He said, all the damage is at least three days old. It's all turning brown where the bugs, the, the grasshoppers had eaten the leaves. There's no new spot that I can find anywhere in my field. There are, there are billions of grasshoppers, but they're not eating my field. God has done a great thing. And so I said, well, now, now let's pray. I said, you normally would get how much from this field? He said, about 150 bushels. But with the damage, maybe 100, I'd be doing well. Well, let's pray about that. So I said, Lord, let your name be honored in this place for these people to see that you are the God who can deliver and heal and restore. So we prayed, and I went back to, uh, to Chiang Mai, and three months later, I met his daughters in the marketplace one day, and I asked them, how's your field going? And they said, oh, Dad's just thrilled. He wants to be baptized right away. I said, Really? What is it? Has he become a rice Christian now? And they said, absolutely. He's seen the power of God. I said, how do you know that? He said, well, normally we would have gotten 100, maybe 150 bushels. He said, already we've gotten 270. We have about another 30 bushels worth yet to thresh. So about three, double what we normally would have gotten. Friends, what does it take to open eyes? What does it take to turn them from the darkness to light? from the power of Satan to the power of God. It is things that happen in their lives that only then are they willing to say, 
I need this Jesus. I said, and we asked him, why do you need Jesus? To, 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 to make us right with God, with the Creator. Yes, you need to be forgiven, right? And they say yes. And then step by step. And so today, throughout Thailand, among about 80 villages, there are church, churches established in over 80 villages of the 110 villages in Thailand today. We have a very close association with about 30 of them. The rest of them we've released to stand on their own as much as possible. That doesn't mean that all the population are Christian, but there is a Christian presence now, which I never thought would be possible. Amen? Thank the Lord. We praise the Lord for what He has done. There's yet much to be done in Thailand, as well as in Burma, back into China. Other people groups are being reached. And this is what we continue to labor for. As the church becomes stronger, they become partners with us to then begin to reach other people in other areas. Is our work going to ever be over? Not until Jesus comes back. And for as long as he gives us time and strength and partners to be standing together with us, we will continue to serve as he allows us to serve in that region of the world. Today, I ask you to keep these three words in mind. That Jesus gives us, we follow Jesus because I believe three key words is IDP. Jesus gives us and gives them identity, a new identity. We become somebody in Jesus. Second, God in Jesus Christ gives us destination. We have a place to go. We are bound for heaven. Whether he takes us or takes us through another way, we are bound for a good destination, not a bad one. Thirdly, until he calls us home, he gives us purpose down here. All of these things, identity, destination, and purpose, means that we've got, we are people of hope. Hope and the future. The world doesn't have that. To the extent that we can share this with the world, they will then begin to understand that we are a people who knows we know who we are. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. If you need to accept Jesus, if you'd like to rededicate your life, consider what God would have you to be doing. Maybe differently what you're doing now, maybe continuing what you're doing now, whatever it might be. We are honored and privileged to be a part of this fellowship as an extension of your body on the far shores. And we thank you for your partnership and support, and we pray that we will continue to hand-in-hand hand serve our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are still on the throne, the same as always. You never change. We thank you that you give us hope. You give us a future. And through your word, your promises are sure. As we were singing earlier in the songs, uh, you are Jehovah Jireh, and uh, you are enough for us. Help us to be able to pass on this good news to those who don't have enough. They don't have enough good news. And sometimes even in our own lives, we don't have, always have good news. Sometimes bad news affects us. Help us to grow in those times and to stand on your word and to trust you that you are in control, even when it seems like things may be out of control. Help us to be the light and the salt that you want us to be to those outside of the kingdom of God right now. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.